Socrates. Let Gorgias answer. Come then, Gorgias, considering yourself asked by both those men and by me, answer what this thing is which you say is the greatest good for human beings, and of which you are a craftsman. Gorgias. That which is in truth, Socrates, the greatest good, and the cause both of freedom for human beings themselves, and at the same time the cause of rule over others in each man's own city. Socrates. What then do you say this is? Gorgias. I for one say it is being able to persuade by speeches judges in the law court, counselors in the council, assemblymen in the assembly, and in every other gathering whatsoever when there is a political gathering. And indeed with this power you will have the doctor as your slave, and the trainer as your slave, and that money-maker will be plainly revealed to be making money for another and not for himself, namely for you, who can speak and persuade multitudes. Welcome back to Classically Practical, the podcast where we take ideas and thoughts that were formulated very long time ago in Greco-Roman antiquity and also leading into the Christian Middle Ages, and we try to explore the tremendous practical applications of those things for our own day and time. In the first two episodes, I spent a great deal of time citing from authors such as Aristotle and Cicero and Isocrates about the radical, irreducible difference between men, human beings, and animals, and that namely being the power of speech. I'm not going to try to recover that ground if you have not heard those episodes. If this is by chance your first encountering of this podcast, you should stop now and go back and listen to the first two before you listen to this one, because I'm going to continue and hopefully try to wrap up this theme Uh, so that I can move on to other ones in the future. In what I just read to you from Plato's dialogue, Gorgias, you heard Socrates and the speaker, the orator, Gorgias, talking about how this power of speech that humans have is to be put to use in political gatherings. And if you recall from the first two podcasts, I made the point several times, a very controversial point, I think, that what we in the modern world call by the term politics isn't really politics. We are misusing the terminology. What we are talking about most of the time when we use the word politics is just a raw, naked quest for power over other people. Each and every one of us wants to make sure no one is going to make us do things that we don't want to do, that we don't agree with, that perhaps violate our own cherished perceptions of ourselves in the world. We're just not going to put up with people making us do things. And so what we think politics is in the modern world is making sure that no one else can force us to do those things and Conversely, interestingly enough, that we are able to force them to do things they don't want to do. Because at the end of the day, politics for us is all just a great big power quest. Whoever is the strongest will win, whether that be the Republicans or the Democrats or the Libertarians or some other thing entirely. Whoever's the strongest, they're the ones who will win. And that's what politics is for us. Not so in these ancient sources that we're looking at. Politics is actually the quest for justice 
amongst these rational speaking animals called human beings. And not uncoincidentally, this quest for justice involves the very power and ability that makes us distinct from all other animals, the power of speech. Now, of course, if you are into politics, you are probably quite familiar with how speech gets used to particularly to lambast people on the other side. Perhaps you have done that yourself. Perhaps you have sat around tables with people that you know agree with you, and you've all been saying the same words and sort of nodding, nodding sagely at each other as you all say the things that you all know to be true already. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, you're so right. Those darn people on the other side, can you believe how stupid they are? Oh, they just don't know how the world works. Thankfully, we do. You know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you've been involved in that yourself. Perhaps you've witnessed it online, particularly on social media forums where it tends to be the worst sort of example of that thing. That's what all of us pretty much think of as politics. That's political discourse. Um, it's just the very definition of political is that sort of activity. And again, all aimed at trying to make sure that we ourselves have the power and other people don't. And so with all of that said, it's now time to discuss how in fact words get used in this real thing that is called politics, not the thing we falsely call politics. And at one point in one of the other episodes, I suggested that all these exchanges of words that we do, whether whether uh, sitting around with those who agree with us already and all just sort of mutually reinforcing each other, or taking to the internet airwaves to just tear into people on the other side for their simple idiocy and lack of understanding of the way the world really works. All of that involves the use of words, and so, again, we've reached the point where we need to talk about the relationship of the use of this power of speech that we have to political gatherings. If you remember, the other authors I was citing said that it is by this power of speech that we human beings have even been able to invent politics in the first place, to create associations that of, of our fellow men that seek the good with each other and in, in the process invent arts and sciences and laws and all the things that we think of as civilization. These things have come about by the use of our power of speech. And one of those things was, is politics. So right there, if you follow this argument that these authors have been making, and that I've been expounding for a while now, you'll see that all of these uses of words that I've been talking about are not themselves politics. They are rather a tool by which the actual process that is politics is taking place. And perhaps not not uh, surprisingly, given the distinctions, the way these ancient authors like to make distinctions, there is a good way to use words in the pursuit of politics and a bad way to use words in the pursuit of politics. And here again, we're going to run into some radical dumbing down of language that has unfortunately occurred in the modern world and to which I think all of us are subject to some extent or another. You can get out of it uh, to varying degrees depending on how much you're willing to read, how much you're willing to think about the way 
you and those that you associate with act, um, how much credit and charity you're willing to give to other people who disagree with you. All of these things can help you to get out of this problem we all have of using our language incorrectly. And by that I mean, not only do we use the word politics incorrectly as merely a pursuit of power, we also use the word rhetoric incorrectly. I'm sure you have heard this word bandied about, and it, it is almost always used in a negative context. We will say that this or that person ha is just indulging in rhetoric. Oh, that's just rhetoric. And what we mean by that is, well, there's nothing to that. That's just a sort of blabbing of, of sounds that sound like they're saying something intelligent, but they're really not. And, and it's really all just manipulative. You see, again, the emphasis that we have as modern people on gaining power over others and preventing them from gaining power over us. We're all of us guilty because of the way we're raised and to think and the way we're formed in this modern world of using our incredible power of speech not to seek the just and the unjust, but rather to seek power over other people, to make them do what we want, to prevent them from making us do what we don't want. So that's the term, that's the context in which the term rhetoric is often used. And since I'm calling this podcast classically practical to find practical applications of these ancient words, I'm just going to insist, it is my podcast after all, I'm going to insist that we take the definition of the word rhetoric from the people who actually invented it, and not from our own debased mode of talking about things, because none of us are really as educated as we should be, and most of the time we just don't know what we're talking about. We're just using words connotatively. If you're familiar with that term, we're using words that create certain mental and emotional associations, um, both in ourselves and with others, and then we just sort of allow that to function as a kind of shorthand so that we all know what we're talking about. And few times do any of us ever bother to ask, wait, what is it we're talking about? We all just already know because of the terms we're using. And so politics is that kind of term, and so is rhetoric. If you'll stick with me a bit here, I'm going to read a little bit from Plato's Gorgias, this dialogue that I started out with, in which, what well, really the whole thing, a hundred plus pages, is devoted to a lengthy discussion about what in fact rhetoric is and how people can and should use words properly in political discussions. So follow me along here while I read certain selected portions of this. And hopefully it will bring some bring to light some distinctions that we just really don't tend to process in the modern world. As the discussion develops between Gorgias and Socrates, um, let me give you a quick aside here. Gorgias was a representative of a school of Greeks called Sophists, um, the term that just means wise man. And what they would do is travel around Greece uh, deliberately offering lessons to young men, especially, in how to speak effectively in law court situations um, and in other situations where they needed to gain an advantage over someone else. These sophists would run around teaching all manner of lessons about how a person could best use words to gain their own advantage. And as such, they got a 
pretty negative reputation um, in a number of circles, and it's against them that many of Plato's works representing his teacher Socrates were in fact written. And this dialogue, the Gorgias, is probably the major one that deals with the power of rhetoric, what it is, what it isn't, and how words should and shouldn't be used in the political process. So with that aside, um, Socrates is speaking to this sophist named Gorgias, and he says, It is an amazement at these things, Gorgias, that I have long been asking what in the world the power of rhetoric is, for it manifestly appears to me as a power demonic in greatness when I consider it in this way. And Gorgias replies, If only you knew the whole of it, Socrates, that rhetoric gathers together and holds under itself all powers, so to speak. Let's stop right there for a second. Rhetoric is the art of using words to persuade people. So look at, listen to what Gorgas just said. Rhetoric gathers together and holds under itself all powers, so to speak. This is, according to the sophists, the way we use words to persuade others is the most magnificent and omnicomprehensive, if you will, power that we human beings could have. If you, if you want to talk about seeking power over people, it's time to start thinking about how do you talk to other people? What words do you use when you talk to other people? Perhaps more importantly, what words do you use when you talk about other people behind their backs? It is an unbelievably comprehensive power, this power of speech that we have. And that's why what you see on social media that's called politics is such a disastrous and debased mode of using the human voice. It, it, I think I might have characterized it in one of the episodes as a bunch of monkeys just chattering. If you go to Twitter, you go to Facebook a lot of times, and you see people passionately just throwing words at each other by the paragraph, by the bucket load, and so much of it is unkind and uncharitable and full of full of adjectives and adverbs that make the other person out to be just the biggest idiot that's ever walked the face of the earth. That is just essentially the chattering of a bunch of monkeys. I don't even care if it's done by people with PhD degrees it's, or pastors that you love and respect in so many other ways. It's, it's basically the chattering of monkeys. It is a misuse of speech in order to simply berate and belittle and to, in effect pull all the other powers that we have as human beings together under the head of the use of words. So that's what Gorgias had said to Socrates. He said, rhetoric gathers together and holds under itself all powers, so to speak. Now listen to this. Listen carefully to how he continues to how he shows Socrates what he means. He says, I shall relate to you a great piece of evidence on many occasions now, I have gone in with my brother and with other doctors to one of the sick who was unwilling either to drink a drug or to submit himself to the doctor for surgery. The doctor was unable to persuade him, but I persuaded him by no other art than rhetoric. And I assert further that if a rhetorical man, a speaker, and a doctor should go into any city you wish and should have a contest in speech, in the assembly, or in some other gathering, which of the two ought to be chosen doctor, 
The doctor would plainly be nowhere, but the man with power to speak would be chosen, if he wished. And if he should contest against any other craftsman whatsoever, the rhetorician, rather than anyone else, would persuade them to choose himself. There is nothing about which the rhetorician would not speak more persuasively than any of the other craftsmen in a multitude. The power of the art, then, is so great and of such a sort, Socrates. And that was a little bit of a lengthy quote, but if you followed it, here is this speaker, this man trained in using words to persuade other people. And if you ever have a chance to look at rhetoric, you will see they had developed this thing to a fine-tuned art and science of how to put words together to persuade other people. He's saying here, look, I don't care who you put me up against. He uses the example of a doctor, but you could add anybody else in there, a lawyer, a scientist, a theologian, anything else that you want to put in there. He's saying, if you put me trained in the art of words up against any other practitioner of any other art, I will be able to, to convince those listening that I know more than that other person. I'm not even a doctor, Socrates, but with the power of my words, I will convince anyone listening that I know more than the doctor does. You really need to stop and think about that. That is a fantastic statement. And whether you buy into it or not, whether you think that was actually true, stop and think about that. Is it possible to use words so persuasively that you yourself, not knowing an actual discipline, appear to know the discipline more than those who have studied it for many years? Well, I think the answer to that is pretty self-evident, especially if you spend a lot of time in political discussions online. There are so many people who are immediate experts on everything that they talk about because they have read a couple of websites, they have gone to alternative news sources, they've listened to some ranty tirade on some um, talk radio show that they're always make sure that they never miss and they're just repeating everything the talk radio host says and they know more. They know more than the practitioners of the arts that they're talking about. And that's because they are using the words more persuasively, they think, than the practitioners of those arts. Folks, that is a powerful, powerful ability to have. And if you've been following the argument as I've developed it, developed it in the last couple of podcasts, it all tracks back to this critical, crucial, irreducible difference between us and animals. The power of speech. The power of speech makes it possible for us to pretend to have knowledge that we do not have, to run other people down who actually do have the knowledge, but to make ourselves seem wiser and more knowledgeable than them simply because we know how to talk better than they do. So, I could belabor this on and on and on, but I am sure you have seen this happen uh, online. And let me go a little bit farther before I wind this up. I'm, I'm not going to get done, predictably. I'm going to have to run this into a fourth episode, but let me give just a little bit more here. Um, Socrates responds to Gorgias uh, because he doesn't, he doesn't agree with that. Um, excuse me, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh, Gorgias continues with what he was saying earlier. And he says, um, I think if someone has become a rhetorician and does injustice with this power and art, 
one must not hate the man who taught him and expelled him from the cities. For that man imparted it for just use, and the other used it in the opposite way. And what they're talking about there is the Greek city-states would often ostracize or kick out people who became too influential, whom, whom the, the populace conceived of as being too influential. They would often kick them out, exile them to other cities, and that was considered to be a pretty bad thing if you got kicked out of your city. But Gorgas there admits that Socrates, this art I'm talking about, this, this amazing power of speech, can be used wrongly. I, I acknowledge that. As a, He says, as a practitioner of this art, as one of the most widely respected practitioners of this art, I acknowledge that it can be used badly. It can be used to do evil. And I, I just really don't think that should come back on me because... You know, I, I didn't really intend that, and that's not what I was taught to do. I wasn't taught to be evil. I was just taught to be persuasive. And so, anyway, th that that angle could be pursued a little bit more if we wanted to. I'm not going to go there, but Socrates takes great issue with that when he finds out that when he finds out that it is possible to do injustice by the use of words. Um, he just, I'm not going to say he loses it because Socrates is the model of self-control in all of these, all of these dialogues, pretty much. He, he's, he's just amazing. But he goes on to develop an argument, a lengthy argument against what the sophist is saying. And a couple pages later, we see him asking Gorgias, his pupil, Polis, this. Are you then asking me what art I say rhetoric is? Polis, I am. Socrates, in my opinion at least, rhetoric is no art, to tell you the truth. Polis, but in what in your opinion is rhetoric? Socrates, a business that you say makes art in the writing that I have lately read. Polis, what do you mean by this? Socrates, I mean rhetoric is a certain experience. Polis, rhetoric in your ex opinion is experience? Socrates, in my opinion at any rate, unless you say something else. Polis, experience of what? Socrates, of the production of a certain grace and pleasure. And he goes on on the next page to say, back to the teacher Gorgias, in my opinion then, rhetoric is a certain pursuit that is not artful, but belongs to a soul that is skilled at guessing, a soul that is courageous, a soul that is terribly clever by nature at associating with human beings. And I call the chief point of rhetoric flattery. Rhetoric, according to my argument, is a phantom of a part of politics. Now, I am going to have to wind this down really quickly, so I, I really want you to consider those, those uh, thoughts there that, first of all, you have a practitioner of this art of using words to persuade other people, Gorgias, admitting this art can be used to do evil. Uh, in theory, it should be used to do good, but it's possible to use it to do evil, and, well, you really shouldn't hold it against the people that taught others to speak that way because they weren't trying to teach evil, so on and so forth. But it can be used for evil. That horrifies Socrates because Socrates knows that this power of speech, again, is the thing that separates man from animals, and that only by a proper use of speech can human beings actually show that they are above the animals, because if animals, to shift to Aristotle for a minute, and Aristotle said that animals make sounds to express 
pleasure and displeasure and to a limited extent the things that they want. Animals can communicate with sounds, particularly their emotional states, and so can humans. But the thing that makes humans different is we can go beyond the use of sounds to communicate emotions and wishes. We can use words to talk about the just and the unjust, the true, the good, the beautiful, things that no animal has ever been observed, and I would say never is going to be observed, engaging in pursuing the, these kinds of high-level abstractions that make life for the human being far more than it is for animals. So note in closing here, and again I'm going to run this into a fourth episode, I'm going to read again what Socrates says here. In my opinion, then, Gorgias, rhetoric, this use of words that you're talking about, is a certain pursuit that is not artful. Art there means an actual body of knowledge. It's not artful, but it belongs to a soul that is skilled at guessing, a soul that is courageous, a soul that is terribly clever by nature, and I call its chief point flattery. So I'm going to leave you with that particularly controversial sounding thought there. Most of what we call politics, chiefly in the online environment, is basically just a bunch of flattery, and there's not a bit of truth to it. So, I hope to see you back next time. I will quote some more, talk some more about Plato, Aristotle, Cicero, others talking about the use of words in politics. Thanks for listening.